Welcome. You're listening to the St. Helens Baptist Podcast. If you're new to the podcast and our approach to the Bible, just go to our website and click the podcast button to discover more. Now, on with the podcast. Welcome to December. Today I want to share with you the following obituary that I read several years ago. It goes like this. Mrs. Prayer Meeting died recently at First Neglected Church on Worldly Avenue. Born many years ago in the midst of a great revival, she was one of the most influential members of the church family. For the past several years, Mrs. Prayer Meeting has been failing in health. At the last, she was but a shadow of her former self. Her last whispered words were inquiries concerning the absence of her loved one, who's now busy in the markets of trade and places of worldly amusements. Experts, including Dr. Works, Dr. Reform, and Dr. Joyner, all disagreed as to the cause of her fatal illness. They administered large doses of organizations and socials, but to no avail. A post-mortem autopsy showed that deficiency of spiritual food, coupled with a lack of faith and general support, were contributing causes. Only a few were present at her death. In honor of her going, the church doors will be closed on Wednesday nights. Now, it's a sad thing to say, but this obituary could be read over many churches, uh, even many Christians. It's an awful and tragic death because it shows the relation of spiritual prayer to spiritual power. You see, the lack of prayer means the lack of power, and the death of prayer is the death of power. Simply put, where there is no prayer, there is no power. God has done everything possible to excite us and invite us to pray. But the reality is, we do everything but pray. No doubt, if some people were to receive an invitation to the White House, they would do whatever they had to to get there. Yet, we have uh, received a divine invitation from the creator of the universe to talk with him, to spend time with him in prayer. In Jeremiah 33.3, God reveals to Jeremiah what many people called, have called the theology of neology. It says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God reveals that the most productive weapon in the Christian's arsenal is the weapon of prayer. He extends to you an invitation that you just can't refuse. Now, he does that by showing us the personal requirement in prayer. In the first part of the verse, God reveals that the personal requirement in prayer is simply to pray. It almost seems as if he's talking to each one of us individually. He invites us to become personally involved in the requirement of prayer. James Merritt expressed it well when he said, You can do no more than pray after you pray, but you can do no more than pray until you have prayed. So he goes on to demonstrate the truth of that by showing us that this is a personal requirement because it's demanded. God, through his prophet Jeremiah, shows us that the prayer is a personal requirement because it's demanded. Now, for all you Bible students out there, the Hebrew word for call is kalra, and it means to cry or to proclaim or publish. Uh, the idea of the word is as of one who would use a telephone to call a friend. Now, important here is the usage in language, that this word is used in the imperative tense in Hebrew. 
and it shows us that this is not a suggestion, it's not advice, it's a command. We're commanded, and it's demanded that we pray. So it would stand to reason if God commands us and demands for us to pray, and we don't pray, then we're violating God's law. I believe Andrew Murray, a missionary in the mid-1800s, explained it best when he said, the greatest sin in the life of a Christian is prayerlessness. You know, it's amazing to me that when people get sick, you don't have to command them to go to the hospital. They go. When they're hungry, you don't have to command them to eat. They eat. What's amazing is that God has commanded us to pray, and we don't. Uh, the magazine Christianity Today told of 11 leaders of conservative movements that gathered for the purpose of addressing one concern, and that was prayerlessness. They each gathered data from their own congregations showing that the average Christian prays only three to five minutes a day. When I read that, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. God's made it available to us. He's rolled out the red carpet, and he's invited us to talk to him. And we just say, eh, no, thank you. What a travesty that is. Now, unless you're still not convinced that prayerlessness is a sin, remember what Samuel said to the nation of Israel. 1 Samuel 12:23 records this. Moreover, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Now think about that for a minute. We all know that sin angers God. Now I believe there's one sin that amazes God, though, and that's the sin of prayerlessness. It's been commanded. It's been demanded. Now, that command is directed, as the verse says, unto me. Not only do we see that prayer is demanded, but it's directed. I mean, who are we talking to when we pray? I think that's kind of obvious when God himself tells us that when we pray, we're speaking directly to him. Now, we don't need to go through the Virgin Mary or the Pope. We don't even have to go through the church or the pastor. Uh, when you and I pray, we ascend to the very Oval Office of Heaven. There needs to be no appointments made months in advance. There's no waiting in an office. There's no waiting in lines. The moment we begin to pray, we're immediately escorted into the very presence of God. Now, Isaac Newton once said, I can take my telescope and look millions of miles into space, but I can go away in my room and in prayer get nearer to God than I can when assisted by all the telescopes on earth. Usually, the last person we consult when we have a problem is the Lord. As one writer wrote, though, he ought not be our last resort, but our first resource. God says, call unto me. No one else, just him. So it's demanded, it's directed, and that's the personal requirement in prayer. Now, in five very short words, God tells us what will happen if we fulfill this personal requirement. There will be a promised response. So we see that the certainty of his response is, I will. We see here a concrete, confirmed, and certain promise. There's not much question. No doubt God has said he will, and he will. If you do your part and pray, then I'll do my part and perform. You see, God not only heeds prayer, he hears prayer. Uh, look around you. 
every person around you has a testimony to the fact that God hears and answers prayer. Uh, you want an answer? God says pray. You want a promise? What a purpose for prayer. What's the certainty of this response? Now, when the verse says answer thee, it's talking about he's going to answer the prayers. So we not only see the certainty, but the complexity in this response. And this is where a lot of us get discouraged. We become disillusioned and defeated in our prayer life. There's not only certainty, but there's also a complexity in the response. This is where many of us become discouraged. We get disillusioned, defeated in our prayer. We tend to believe that in the certainty of this response, that God has always promised to answer with an emphatic yes. But the truth of the matter is that there is a promised answer, not a particular answer. Think for a minute what would happen if God gave a yes answer to every prayer. Uh, remember the movie Bruce Almighty? He got tired of answering individual prayers, so he just said, click yes and answer them all yes. And then the chaos that ensued afterwards. If we did that, we would find ourselves, if God did that, we'd find ourselves in big trouble. Now, our problem is that we're concerned with time. But God is concerned with timing. The answer always comes, but it's in his time and in his way. Another misconception among Christians today is that if we're not right with God, then God will answer no. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Matter of fact is, if we're not right with God, it's not that he'll answer no. It's that he just won't listen. David said very profoundly in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, he may not always give us what we want, but he does always give us what's best. He does answer. There's a certainty of this response and the complexity in this response. But there is a promised response of prayer. Now, as a result of obeying the personal requirement in prayer and enjoying the promised response of prayer, there's also seeing the powerful revelation from prayer. You see, God not only heeds and hears, but he honors prayer. Thus, we see that the primary purpose of prayer is not for the things God can give us, but the truths that God can teach us. And he demonstrates that by saying that there are some things that only God can know. Now, too often, our prayer life is a monologue. It's a one-sided conversation, and we're doing all the talking. But prayer is not meant for us to tell God what we want from him. He's not our big piggy bank in the sky. Prayer is where God can tell us what he wants from us. While God does show and reveal things to us by his word, he also shows us things in prayer. Outside of prayer, there are certain things that God doesn't show us. Now, some things that only God can know, mighty things which thou knowest not, as the verse says, uh, some things that only he can know, Literally, God saying, if you will call, I will answer, and I will show you things that are inaccessible. They're isolated from you and everyone else except me. So uh, you want to know what some things only God can know? Start talking to him. He'll let you know. E.M. Bounds, he wrote nine books on the subject of prayer. And in one of those, he said, the greatest person a person can know is Christ. The greatest knowledge a person can have is the will of God. 
The greatest book a person can glean from is the Bible. However, these will never be known apart from prayer. One of the ways that deep, dark, hidden truths and mysteries of God are known is through prayer. Once we engage and accept his invitation to talk with him, God will begin to let us in on things that only he can know. And that's a powerful revelation from prayer. A little boy was out in the yard trying to move an old heavy stove, and he was grunting and groaning. He was struggling and straining, but it wasn't going anywhere. And his dad watched, and with some amusement too. Finally, after the boy was near total exhaustion, father said, son, can you not move that stove? No, sir, the boy replied. Well, have you used all your strength, the father asked. The boy answered, yes, sir, to which the father replied, no, you haven't. You haven't asked me yet. That is too often how we face life. We don't ask God to kick in his strength to help us along. Are you facing some obstacle in your life? Are you struggling, straining, striving, but don't just seem to be getting anywhere? Maybe you haven't used up all your resources. Have you asked the Lord for help? You have a divine invitation to go talk to him. There's a personal requirement in prayer, a promised response of prayer, and a powerful revelation from prayer. God says, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That is an invitation that you just can't refuse. God bless you.